Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It's Friday, June 24th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. In a 6-3 vote, the Supreme Court struck down a centuries-old New York law requiring those that want to carry a concealed weapon for self-defense to show specific need for doing so. This decision also clears a way for legal challenges to similar laws in other states. The ruling comes down as the country is grappling with a series of mass shootings and a new gun law making its way through the Senate. Robert Barnes, Supreme Court reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for more. Next, youth mental health has been a growing issue in the country that has only been amplified by the isolation and stress caused by the pandemic. In collaboration with award-winning podcast Force Multiplier, we'll hear from mental health advocate, digital strategist, and content creator Jorge Alvarez about today's challenges with global and mental health access. Finally, it's the new layaway, buy now, pay later. It has been exploding in popularity as more retail stores are offering it, and a slew of new apps are also getting in on it. It lets consumers take something home immediately and then pay off the purchases and installments. Payments are usually interest-free, making it an enticing option for those trying to avoid credit cards. Claire Ballantyne, personal finance reporter at Bloomberg News, joins us for why some experts are warning of overspending risks. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. While we're still analyzing the decision, we can say with certainty, uh, this decision has made every single one of us less safe from gun violence. Joining us now is Robert Barnes, Supreme Court reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Robert. You're welcome. Well, let's talk about the Supreme Court ruling that we saw. They found that a New York law violates the rights of uh, people to carry guns outside of their home. This is a centuries-old law that basically requires those who want to carry a concealed weapon for self-defense. They have to show a specific need for doing that. You're a celebrity or something. You need extra security, whatever the case may be. The Supreme Court struck that down in a vote that was six to three with Justice Clarence Thomas writing for the majority on this. So, Robert, what did we see in this ruling? The conservatives on the court, led by Justice Thomas, have said that, uh, you know, the court decided in 2008 that a person had the right to own a handgun for self-defense purposes in their home, but never had addressed the question of what happens outside the home. And Justice Thomas wrote that the words bear arms means that there is a right to carry a weapon for self-defense outside the home as well, and that New York's law was too restrictive. 
tell me a little bit about the original lawsuit. It was brought forth by two guys who had a permit, I guess, to carry a gun for hunting and target practice, but not just kind of the unlimited concealed carry. And uh, so they brought they, they got denied that part of it. And so they brought a suit forth because of it. That's right. They were required under New York law to show a specific need for it, not just a sort of general desire for self-defense, but, you know, because they had received a specific threat or something like that, they couldn't show that. And so they were denied this license for carrying a handgun. So then they brought the lawsuit. New York's law is particularly restrictive, and there are a handful of other states that have laws like that, such as California, New Jersey, and Maryland. And those laws, I think, now will be challenged and are very unlikely to withstand that challenge. Now, because of this ruling in New York, what does that mean for those that want to get a concealed carry? Because there's other things, other hoops that you have to go through. Uh, You know, you have to apply for it, obviously. You undergo a few background checks. Uh, New York State, the FBI, they all review it. You get interviewed by local police. Can all of that still stand or, or even those things go out of the air? How, how narrow was this ruling from the Supreme Court? No, some of those things stand. Uh, as the opinion points out, there are 43 states that have what are called shall issue permits. And that means that a person shall get a permit if they meet certain requirements, as you mentioned, such as being fingerprinted or not undergoing a background check for mental illness. And so those would stand. There are other states that don't really require a permit to carry a weapon openly, and those stand as well. So the only ones that are under fire right now would be those that require this specific need. But Justice Thomas said that if states try to sort of take advantage of the shall issue law by making it too hard to get one to meet the requirements or to make them wait too long for a gun, then that might be subject to a challenge. Yeah, in his ruling, uh, Justice Thomas said, we know of no other constitutional right that an individual may exercise only after demonstrating to government officers some special needs. So this is was the crux of the whole thing. And, you know, it's coming at an interesting time, right? We've been seeing the slate of mass shootings and, and killings, especially in Uvalde, Texas, and, and in Buffalo, New York. In his dissent, Justice Stephen Breyer pointed to a lot of these mass shootings as a reason for why we need these extra steps and, and to pr- be, have to prove this stuff. He, re- he really threw it into a state's issue, basically saying the states should have the right to do this if they want it. That's right. He said that, you know, all of these places are, are different and that a number of the states that have this requirement have big cities, big urban areas, you know, New York City, obviously, or San Francisco or Baltimore, places where the states don't want a lot of people carrying weapons all the time. So he said that states, that courts should be able to look at a state's reasons for this and to sort of weigh the reason for wanting these kinds of law against the constitutional right. But six members of the court rejected that approach. I mean, this is obviously coming at an interesting time. I just mentioned those uh, shooting incidents. We're also seeing this gun safety bill clearing different hurdles there in the uh, in the Senate, the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. And, you know, that's obviously to keep guns out of the hands of, of people who are, are dangerous. At least in this, when you're applying for the concealed carry, you have to have your gun license. You have to go through various other background checks. Uh, you know, at least with that due diligence, you know, the hope is, is that the people that do get granted the license aren't dangerous. 
Justice Breyer pointed that out. A lot of the reaction to this decision has been from members of Congress and other politicians saying that this is a particularly sort of tone-deaf time for the court to relax gun restrictions and to say that states can't do more to sort of cut down on the proliferation of guns. But those in the majority said that actually what it might show is that people do want a gun for their own self-protection because of all that's going on. Justice Alito wrote a separate concurring opinion in which he was quite critical of Justice Breyer for bringing up the mass shootings and said, for instance, that this New York law certainly didn't do anything to stop the mass shooting in Buffalo. Robert Barnes, Supreme Court reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I think it's been super revolutionary in, as mentioned, cultivating the community that I so desperately needed and still do need, but also having the conversations and introducing the questions that we don't really reflect on enough today. Joining us now is Jorge Alvarez. He's a mental health advocate, digital strategist, and content creator. He's also a guest of Salesforce.org. Thanks for joining us, Jorge. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, we wanted to talk about global health, mental health, the challenges to access to get help with mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, a very it's an ongoing issue that we've been dealing with a lot, especially coming out of the pandemic. We heard a lot of stories about loneliness, obviously stressful times. There's a lot of people that have been struggling and mental health is one of those aspects that, you know, maybe a lot of people don't want to focus on too much, uh, don't want to seek out the help. And we wanted to talk to you. You, you know, you've been an advocate in that realm, working to get people a representation. It's a big part mm-hmm. of what you talk about, you know, a big part of your work on mental health takes place on social media, building a community there. As I mentioned, you know, making sure people have that representation, at least in the Latino community. So tell me how how much of a a tool social media has been to help in this realm with helping get people access to this. Yeah, most definitely. So first and foremost, hi, everyone. My name is Jorge Alvarez. As just mentioned, I am a content creator, digital strategist, and I recently graduated actually with a degree in public health. And so I mentioned all that because As someone who's an advocate for mental health, I am so because I, one, am very passionate about everyone living happy, intentional, purposeful lives. But two, I recognize that we can't do that without first prioritizing ourselves. And from personal experience, early in my undergrad journey and through it, I realized how many people like me, specifically like me, meaning other Latinos, were experiencing you know, mental illness and struggled with their own mental health struggles. And I personally, from my own journey, realized how because of the fact that this isn't spoken about enough, the progress that could be happening isn't happening. And so to your point, you know, a lot of the work I do now is on social media, though I started back, you know, with grassroots activism and and advocacy on my college campus. I used TikTok specifically as my platform of choice to further amplify my voice because TikTok does such a great job at reaching the like desired target audience and not only that but fostering community and and building a community around dialogue and conversation if that's what you choose to cultivate and so for me social media has really been tremendously powerful because i went from speaking to 30 people in a lecture hall you know about mental health and about intergenerational trauma and different topics that are very important to then reaching millions, you know, with videos hitting a million views here and four million there and a couple hundred thousand and maybe even 10,000. But the fact that that video reached 
at least even a thousand people speaks a lot of volumes and is something that if I was just in my class in a classroom, I would not have been able to do otherwise. So I think it's been super revolutionary in as mentioned, cultivating the community that I so desperately needed and still do need, but also having the conversations and introducing the questions that we don't really reflect on enough today. Yeah, it's an important part, right? And we've seen time and time again, especially on TikTok right now, more recently, that these communities do form. Uh, you know, a lot of people mm-hmm. band together and they find like-minded individuals or find, you know, as we mentioned, the representation, the help that you need because other people are talking about it. So it has been an amazing tool on that front. And one of the other things that you speak about, too, is cultural stigma. And mm-hmm. it's one of the things that I identified with myself. Uh, you know, myself, most of my family is born in Mexico. I'm a first generation American here. You talk about sometimes your mom would say something like, you know, what happens in the house stays in the house. And it's kind of that general outlook of our problems are our own. We can handle it ourselves. You don't need to go ask for outside help. You know, I'm sure that's one of the things that you're trying to break, trying to break that mindset and, and show other people that you can go help, uh, get that help so you don't internalize a lot of that stuff. Yeah, definitely. And that's honestly, that was one of the biggest reflection points for me when I started to look back on my undergraduate experience and the the different mental health, like mental obstacles that I was encountering. I realized that one of the biggest ones was again, like, in the household, the lack of conversation and not just the lack of conversation, but then also statements like that, you know, what happens in the house stays in the house. We're constantly thrown around and it was almost a like constant reminder. And, you know, looking back, it wasn't with ill intent, obviously, or our parents never intend to do anything like that or hopefully don't. But it was their fear of what would outsiders think if we open up? And that is very much rooted in, you know, that generational trauma of struggling to trust others and wanting to protect ourselves and wanting to kind of create like a a wall around the family secrets or whatever happens behind the scenes because, you know, they didn't want to be perceived in a negative light or they felt like they had to kind of do that in order to, you know, succeed elsewhere in life. So that's definitely been, you know, a point of reflection where now I'm constantly asking myself, okay, well, How have these statements, like what happens in the house stays in the house, really impacted me? And, you know, a couple of years ago, it was obvious. I was like, whoa, like if I had not been told that all the time, maybe I would have been more comfortable reaching out and asking for help. But today I realize that, yes, it was that, but it was also many other things. However, it's so important that, you know, we have conversation around those statements and we don't just move past them because sure, are they a common experience for a lot of us, for a lot of people of color? Yes. But that doesn't mean that it should be a normalized experience and kind of prompting other people to think about that and reflect on how their culture plays a part of how they perceive their own mental health and other things related to that is so important because so often we navigate life, you know, with those statements speaking to us in the back of our minds, not realizing the massive impact that they do have on how we make decisions and and why we don't open up and then why that leads to other issues like anxiety getting so bad that you have to stay quiet until you can get professional help. But there's so much you can do before that. And it's literally just having a conversation. So the cultural stigma part is something that I put at the forefront of my work. Whenever I think about a video, you know, I ask, how can I frame this in a way that speaks to my people? And I recently posted a video and it was specifically talking about like Latinos and burnout for that exact reason. And yeah, and that's so important. Like I said, I I identify with some of that. I've been through that, some of that (laughs) stuff in my own life and hearing about it, that's kind of that lifeline for a lot of people that I think they need, you know, just to hear 
others talk about it, have that conversation, be part of those conversations really speaks volumes and, and it helps people reach out and look for that help. So I'm really glad you're doing a lot of this work. It's led to a lot of things. You were recently part of a White House event called White House Conversations on Youth Mental Health. Dr. Jill Biden mm-hmm. was there. The U.S. Surgeon General was there. Selena Gomez was there. <laughs> you know, so uh, but yeah. getting all that word out, all that stuff's very, very important. And if you want to see more of Jorge's content on TikTok, you can find his handle at iJorgeAlvarez on TikTok. Uh, Jorge Alvarez, guest of Salesforce.org, mental health advocate, digital strategist, content creator. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And for more conversations like this, be sure to check out season two of Force Multiplier, an iHeartRadio original podcast with Salesforce.org, featuring organizations and community members solving some of today's biggest challenges like global health, climate action, and education access. Listen to Force Multiplier on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple Pay Later lets you split the cost of an Apple Pay purchase into four equal payments spread over six weeks with zero interest and no fees of any kind. You can now get that espresso machine you've wanted and pay for it over time with no additional cost. Joining us now is Claire Ballantyne, personal finance reporter at Bloomberg News. Thanks for joining us, Claire. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, let's talk about buy now, pay later. It's basically the new layaway. It's been around for some time. You probably start hearing about it a little bit more during the holidays as a bunch of places, uh, Target, Walmart, a lot of retailers are starting to offer this. But increasingly now we've got apps that are involved in this, so you can do this year round. And what we're seeing is that a lot of experts are kind of sounding some warning alarms saying, you got to be careful. There's uh, risks of overspending if you're not particularly good at managing your finances. Apple is going to come on board with something like this, too, called Apple Pay Later. So, Claire, tell us what we're seeing with all this. They're becoming increasingly popular. It's one of those services that makes it easier to buy things. Um, at almost every checkout counter now, there's some form of this. And essentially, consumers like it because it breaks up their purchase into smaller payments. Usually one is due right away, and then between four and six installments are due 
And so those can be every two weeks, every month. It's essentially just a way of breaking up the payments. But the key thing is there's no interest as long as you pay on time. Yeah, that's an important distinction and what sets it apart from, you know, maybe getting a credit card. I mean, especially for people that have bad credit, maybe you can't get a credit card. This could be a good option, right? Especially as you mentioned, yeah. there's, there's no interest payments or anything, but it works differently. And, and that, and, you know, it has some benefits and pitfalls because of that. It does. And a lot of young people are very against credit cards or are wary of them. You know, with those high interest rates, you can really get in trouble, especially younger consumers in the Gen Z segment. So this is sort of a way to work around that. It's one of those services that at times sounds a bit too good to be true. And sometimes it is in that it causes people to spend more than they actually have. Tell me a little bit about some of these apps, because as I mentioned at the beginning, right, uh, once you get into holiday times, retailers are offering this as part of whatever they got going on, just so people can start buying stuff. But there's apps now that you can do it year round. I mean, you you uh, either buy stuff straight through them or you use it as a payment option. And then uh, now you're just paying money to the app people. Yeah, well, what makes it so easy now is that so many retailers offer it. So that can be right through the checkout counter, you know, when you're going to, say, the online Sephora page. Some also have it for brick-and-mortar stores in person. So it kind of just pops right up when uh, you're checking out. And then what can get people in trouble is that there are so many of these, and you can use different services for different payments. So, you know, you could have $200 owed to Corna and 400 to a firm and 800 to Afterpay. And then you're trying to keep up with all of these different due dates and making sure they're all paid back on time. It can get really complicated. Okay, so there was a survey from Credit Karma. So they're saying that a quarter of respondents saw their total debt increase after using some of these apps and these buy now, pay later services. 20% of them ended up using credit cards to pay down those balances. So you got to get, uh, you got to be really careful. And, you know, as I mentioned, financial experts are saying if you're the type of person to overspend already, you should be steering clear from these things. If you do this responsibly, it can be really helpful. I mean, you know, just to not have to pay a full sum at once, maybe separate things out month by month. But if you're the kind of person who is prone to, you know, seeing something they want and impulse purchasing it, it can get pretty dangerous. And what really can get people is if you don't pay these back, then there come extra fees, extra charges. It can affect your credit score. So it's kind of, in some cases, really not helping people who already are struggling with uh, with debt and with their spending habits. And how can it affect our credit score? Because some of the things, as you mentioned, they'll, they'll, they can pile on some fees. They could send it away to a, a debt collection. Is, is that where it would affect your credit? Yeah, absolutely. That's where it would start to really hurt your credit score. You know, it would definitely depend on how much it is, how long you haven't paid it off, circumstances like that. But it's not a risk-free service, and it's definitely not free money. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of get confused, at least with the, you know, the it's interest free as long as you're paying it on time. But yeah, you got to be really careful with this. And it's something that we're going to be seeing increasingly, right? As we mentioned, we've already se- we're already seeing it from the retailers. There's apps that are dedicated to this now, you know, so it, it can all get very confusing very quickly. And you're just going to keep seeing more of it. It's it as we mentioned, it's the new layaway thing. It's the thing that you're hearing every time holiday season comes up now. Right. And especially with um, Apple getting into it, you know, there's such a huge force in the market with Apple Pay. And, you know, it's probably only going to, to grow now that they're going to offer that as a service. Claire Ballantyne, personal finance reporter at Bloomberg News. Thank you very much for joining us. 
Thanks for having me. That's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.